This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by Bosbole.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9, good morning. I'm Roshan Kanasan and welcome to Open for Business. What do Snoop Dogg, Venture Capital and Sneakers have in common? The answer, Asia's fastest growing sneaker trading platform, Novelship. Last month, the Singapore-based online streetwear marketplace announced a $9.5 million Series B funding round, which comes a few months after their partnership with American hip-hop legend Snoop Dogg. Novelship first started out as a carousel shop before becoming an online marketplace for buyers and sellers to trade authentic sneakers, limited edition apparel, as well as exclusive physical and digital collectibles. Today, the company is moving beyond just being a marketplace and building its own fashion and streetwear brand. Having raised a total of $21.6 million since starting. Today, you will hear about Novelship's move from Carousel Store to Asia's fastest-growing sneaker trading platform, the value Snoop Dogg provides to their ambitions, and whether they have what it takes to become a leading fashion icon in Asia. And we're having this conversation with Richard Sia, co-founder and CEO of Novelship. Richard, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks for having me here, Roshan. Um, yeah, I'm doing great. I'm sure you are. You know, my first question here, the most important one, Richard, is what was it like meeting Snoop Dogg? Wow, it's, uh, it really brings me back to uh, <laughs> last year when I visited his compound. So he actually has a compound in LA. And then after a few back and forth, you know, at first we got in touch, we pitched them. And then they got really interested. And then I went to the U.S. to meet his uh, team. So you don't get to meet a superstar like him mm. immediately, right? They usually have a team to filter if you are if you're good enough, right? And then ultimately, you know, everything works out. We got the terms ready. And then, you know, I met him in his compound. It's this very, very, very big place somewhere in L.A. near the airport. And then there's a lot of security. The security will kill you. <laughs> and then you go in. You literally see pieces of uh, the books of fashion signed by Rihanna herself. Wow. And then you see football jersey, NBA jerseys that's signed by Kobe and the other superstars, right? Just, just generally hanging around. And then, of course, before meeting Snoop himself, the legend himself, his son was also involved in the deal, oh. right? So he was uh, actually quite an entrepreneur, very interested in what we're doing. And then he brought us around, showed us the entire area, which is huge, by the way. And then ultimately, you know, uh, after showing us the entire area, he brought us to the studio where Snoop was actually doing a narration for Grammys. And that was during COVID, right? So, you know, met him, he was doing narration and we had to keep quiet. And then after a while, he came out. Okay, first of all, my first impression, he's a lot taller than <laughs> he looks on the TV, and then, you know, we, we quickly make introduction and then he was like, yo, man, respect for what you guys are doing, you know, bring the love and culture in, in Asia. How did and that then, feel like, Richard, when he said that to you? I don't know, it felt surreal to me, right? Because being a hip hop fan myself, Snoop Dogg is, is the OG. He's one of the OGs, man. Like, I, I could never have imagined meeting him, like meeting him in person. So when he said that, I was like, Am I, you know, like I do wipe my eyes. Am I looking at it for real <laughs> or am I dreaming? So I, I was like awestruck for a while. And he looks so tall, right? So that's another thing. Richard, you started off as a carousel shop before building the marketplace and then now venturing into building a fashion brand. 
Was this always the plan when you and your co-founders started back in 2018 or did it kind of iterate and evolve along the way? So I think the entrepreneurship journey itself, uh, it evolved quite a bit. Uh, but me and Chris, we have always been stickers for more than 10 years, right? I have known Chris for a very long time. And we knew that, you know, we, we were not a corporate type of guys. Mm. So during school days, <laughs> during our university days back in uh, National University of Singapore, starting from year two, we already dabbled our hands in, in a few ventures. So actually, even before novelship, we had the dubious distinction of having two failed ventures under our belt. <laughs> so to a long story cut short, uh, what eventually happened was that uh, a lot of pressure from parents. It was also the final year before we graduate. I sat down with him. We had a long discussion like, hey, look, you know, the previous two ventures failed. If we don't make something out of it, we got to go find corporate jobs. And that is what we don't want to happen, right? So we knew that, okay, why don't we look at something that we are familiar with? Uh, back then, actually, we didn't have any idea how big it's going to get. It was really an underground thing, right? Of course, now we know that, oh, you know, sticker is a big deal, sticker space, sticker market itself is large. But back then, there was not a lot of data in Asia to, to prove that was the case. So we simply went with our guts and started it out. But of course, talking about Carousel, one of the reasons why we started our Carousel instead of immediately building an app was we learned from our mistake from the two previous field ventures that we shouldn't immediately jump into it and we should really validate and test the idea. I mean, you, you're beating me to my questions here because I was going to ask you how you tested and validated the market before jumping in. So the Carousel shop was that way how you tested the market for what you were doing. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And But Carousel wasn't the only platform by which we tested our idea. Back then, there were quite a lot of forums, Facebook groups, WhatsApp groups that were dealing with trading on such products. So when we started out, what we really want to set out to do was we want to know how painful is this problem? Mm. Like the problem of not having access to authentic products for the consumers here in this region, even if that they have the money to pay for it. And of course, because we are in the sneaker space for a very long time, so we do have our connections. We do have our ways of getting certain products. So the immediate way was we set up a simple account on these different forums and we started posting the products at a certain price that we can get them at. And we see if people actually do actually want to make a deposit or pay for the product. And to our surprise, you know, even though uh, back then when we first started, we had no reviews, we had no trust, you know, no reviews, very little posts to begin with, people were still willing to take a leap of faith to trust us. So that was the eureka moment to ask that, wow, the problem is so strong that they're willing to take a leap of faith. And bear in mind, these products, we are talking about hundreds of USD. Mm. Like they are not cheap. So even if they deposit half of it, it's like 200, 300 USD. And they are trusting this with a stranger. Was that when you knew you had product market fit? Yes. I still remember the very first moment that we realized this was the case. When we first posted on Carousel, we posted a couple of, uh, I still remember it was a big product. It was a big Shibuya release, limited edition release. We had ways of getting it and we posted at a certain price, which is very expensive. <laughs> and then uh, we told all those people that are sending queries, we told them that in order to actually place an order for the product, they need to make a deposit of 50% in our bank account by a certain time of the day. If they don't, then they will not get an order. So, you know, we replied all these different queries late into the night and we just slept in the office. 
Next morning, we woke up and we saw that many of them actually messaged us saying that they have already made the deposit. And sure enough, when we checked the bank account, we had thousands of dollars. Wow. Uh, we're talking about USD, right? So that was the signal to us that, okay, we have a Eureka moment here. And from that point, when you knew you had product market fit, that the carousel shop was working, you were tested, you tested and you validated demand, then you started building your marketplace. What did the MVP of that look like? You know, because uh, today it's sophisticated and nicely done and, you know, you spend money on it. What did the first version of that look like? Okay, so first of all, <laughs> uh, the first version actually feels a lot. Uh, I mean, the, the, way, the way it works is very similar to how it works now. Mm. But uh, I would have to say it doesn't look so good. <laughs> the design is not as polished as now. Mm. Um, Richard, we got more to get into, which we'll do in just a few minutes. Up next, we'll talk about the business rationale about moving into becoming a fashion brand, as well as the value that Snoop Dogg brings to the table. Folks, I've been speaking with Richard Sia, the co-founder and CEO of Singapore-based online streetwear marketplace Novelship that recently raised $9.5 million US million in a Series B funding round. I'm Roshan Kanesan. You're listening to Open for Business. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Beyond Frivolous Mishmash, BFM 89.9. Open for Business is powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9. Hey, folks, welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Karnison, and this morning I'm speaking with Richard Sia, co-founder and CEO of Singapore-based online streetwear marketplace, Novelship. Six years in the business, the company has evolved and is now looking to become a fashion brand as well on top of the marketplace situation. Talk to us about the business rationale for this move. Right. So regarding the in-house brand, right? So... I think one of the first things that we saw when we think about our marketplace is it's really not just a place where people buy and sell sneakers. We're talking about people who are extremely passionate about the, the type of products they collect and trade and buy and sell right on our platform. So uh, one of the very first things that we came to realize was it's really about buying into the lifestyle. When they buy a particular sneaker on our platform, they're not buying that sneaker just to wear. Mm. There's an emotional connection. They are buying into a certain kind of lifestyle that they aspire to, maybe by their favorite rap artists, hip-hop artists, or, you know, NBA player, right? So upon realization of that, you know, we started thinking about, hey, in the long term, can we, thinking audaciously, can we become as big as a brand like Nike mm. is? Not just a marketplace, but really a one-stop place where people think about whether people subscribe to such lifestyle. So with that understanding, we started thinking about how can we get to that. And one of the first way was really starting out simple with in-house products. So when we first started, we didn't immediately start with t-shirts and sneakers. We started off with complementary products. So we have sole protector, we have socks, uh, we have shoelace. We are also distributing them on Shopee and other platforms. And then outside of this, uh, recently we actually launched our first demo into really apparel and sneakers. It's a particular novelship t-shirt. And then in the future, we also hope to collaborate with other indie and cloud brands around Asia 
to actually jointly launch limited edition products. Are you not worried that building your own fashion brand and as you grow this, that it'll conflict with other brands on the platform? Uh, well, so there was a concern about that in the team actually before we launched it. But uh, as you can see, the way we think about it is we don't think of it as a major part of our business mm. at the start, but we think of it as a complementary part of the business. So that's why the way we approached it was we started off with complementary products first. Again, you're testing the market and seeing whether there's demand. Exactly, exactly. And of course, even T-shirts and potentially stickers that we launch in the future, we are going to work with our partners. We're going to work with other brands. So it's never going to be the case where we take everything, mm. right? We want to play in the industry and we want to bring good for everyone in the industry. I mean, I'd, I'd love to see more Asian fashion wear brands come up and not have to always buy the American or European or the Western-centric ones. Uh, so it'd be nice to see. And I wish you all the best with that. Now, as part of this journey, of course, you've onboarded the dog father himself, uh, Snoop Dogg, as a strategic advisor, as well as partner. Um, what does Snoop Dogg bring to the table for Novelship? Okay, so first of all, other than you know, Snoop being the, really the OG in hip-hop scene, he's also extremely connected. He's an industry insider. If you search his name, he's involved in a lot of different things. So he's very connected with brands, other celebrities as well, and also other personalities that really can help the business. So the very first thing that we discussed with Snoop and his team was that him really bringing us all those connections. Because just now I mentioned that, like you said, we don't just want to work with Nike, Adidas. We also want to work with cult brands from around the world. And this is exactly what he can bring to the table in terms of introducing us to those parties to discuss, to see, you know, other than onboarding their products on our platform, can we also potentially get into a brand partnership with them? So that's the very first thing. The second thing is that Tuk himself is really a testament to, the, to, to really brand building, right? So if you look at his career and journey, he's omnipresent mm. in all kinds of stuff. So I think he also has a periodic call with me, the CEO, to actually advise us on our brand strategy, how we should think about certain partnerships, how do we build our brand, how do we develop our brand. So this is where he also has strong expertise. So primarily these two areas. Could you share maybe one or two pieces of advice or tactics that have been most valuable from him? Actually, what I told you just now about lifestyle, right, was exactly what he told me when we had our first meeting. It's like, yo, man, you know, this is really about the love, the culture. It's not just about the stickers. Stickers is only one part of it. So when you think, you should think big. Don't think about just we were a marketplace for stickers, right? Because when people are buying to it, they are buying to a lifestyle. So this was exactly what he advised me. And I was like, yeah, yeah, totally makes sense, right? So we shouldn't limit our thinking just to we are a sticker marketplace. Outside of the advice that he gives you on these calls, how closely do you work with Snoop Dogg and his team? Are they involved in any design process or any ambassadorships perhaps? Yeah, so, okay. So to be honest, Snoop himself is a superstar. So he's super busy. Yeah, I'm sure. So Snoop himself, he really works like a company. Mm. So other than Snoop himself being the icon, being the brand, being the CEO, he also has a very big team that is working on different areas with him. So on the day-to-day, -day, other than the engagement we have with him, advising us periodically, bringing us connections, uh, actually on the day-to-day -day basis, usually the execution part happens between our team members and his team members. 
Do you see Snoop Dogg doing for you what Jordan did for Nike, what Kanye did for Adidas, or even what Dre did for Beats? I think it's entirely possible. So perhaps not in the exact same way because he's more working with me on the back end mm. than lending his name to me. I think the way that it works is really he will play a very big part in the development of our company strategy. So more on the back end and the development as opposed to, you know, Kanye and Jordan were very front-facing part of the brand building process. Exactly. Uh, now, as part of your growth, you raised quite a tidy sum of money in the last few years. Very recently, you, last month, in fact, you announced the Series B funding round, 9.5 million US dollars there. Prior to this, last year, you announced a 10 million USD uh, Series A funding round. Similar investors involved in both. On the surface of this, Richard, some may say that eh, same value, it was this a down round. But sometimes the structure of these deals can be different. So maybe break this down for us. Was it a down round or was it a perhaps a smaller piece of the company for the same amount of capital? So first of all, uh, I think we are very, very fortunate, especially under current environment and climate, to have actually raised our round. Mm. So I, I think the observation you made or the expectation that you had is uh, very fair. But actually, in actual fact, it was not a down round, right? It's actually an uh, increase in our valuation in the round. So thanks to the trust of our investors, I think they really bought into the long-term prospect of the company. Uh, the second thing is that because I think as a lot of startup founders would know, essentially raising funds means you are giving up a part of your company. So, of course, for us, one of the main criteria to think about when thinking about how much money to raise is not just about oh, raising bigger sums and bigger sums because there is always a catch, which is you have to give up a bigger part of the company. So the amount that we raise is exactly calculated to really get us to our next goal. And one of the areas that we have started working on since second half of last year was really improving our margins as well as lowering our unit costs. Going through the very fast growth stage, a lot of our unit economics is actually negative, which means that we eventually burn more money as we grow. But fast forward to actually start of this year, our unit economics is already positive. So that also means that we don't need as much money to get to our next stage, next stage of the company. So that explains why even though we raise at a higher valuation, we raise a smaller sum. It was a needs-based fundraising, basically. Exactly, right. As all investors will probably ask you is, how would you, <laughs> uh, what's the use of the proceeds? So there always needs to be a very good reasoning of, of how much you raise and at what valuation. Up next, we'll get into how those funds will be used as well as the path of profitability while managing the need to still continue to grow. Folks, I've been speaking with Richard Sia, co-founder and CEO of Singapore-based online streetwear marketplace Novelship that recently announced a $9.5 million Series B funding round. I'm Roshan Kanesan. You're listening to Open for Business. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Big Friendly Matcha. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. 
BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanisan and this morning I'm speaking with Richard Sia, co-founder and CEO of Singapore-based online streetwear marketplace Novelship. Last month, they announced a $9.5 million Series B funding round, which is something that we're exploring today on the show. Richard, earlier you spent a bit of time explaining to us the similar quantums and that this was not a down round, but in fact, a smaller piece of the company for a targeted growth plan ahead. Let's talk about that targeted growth plan. So the newly raised funds are going to be used in the region to amplify brand presence. Give us a sense how the funds will be deployed to do so. Mm. So I think the funds primarily in two areas. Really, the first part is above of just being a fashion marketplace or even a lifestyle marketplace. Actually, the main advantage that we think we define ourselves with is actually as a tech company. So I think that's also how a smaller startup like us can actually make certain moves that have great impact. So the, one of the biggest areas that we'll invest more funds in is really you know, automating more processes in our platform to really give our customers a much faster processing time, a better service. And so we will continuously invest in improving our app, improving our internal processes by automation, by AI and by other means of technology. Other than that, actually, most of the funds, vast majority of the funds, will really be to expand into even more markets, to let more customers know about us. So because our uni economics is actually pretty good and positive right now, that also means that we have a lot more room to actually expand into, you know, not, not just consolidate our current markets that we currently at. So we are currently in six markets around the region. Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand, Taiwan. And most of these markets we actually entered very recently in the past one to two years during COVID. So very first thing that we want to do is we want to enhance the offering that we have in all of these markets and really go deeper into all of these markets, letting more customers in these markets know about us, not just hardcore sticker hits. We also have a lot of casual sneakers, you know, people who are interested in sneakers or people who don't know that much about sneakers, but nonetheless are interested in the overall fashion and lifestyle scene. So we want to bring more people on board. And then, of course, the third aspect is what I mentioned just now, which is looking at opportunities to expand into even more markets around region. Any target markets you can share with us? I think I can share what the rough markets we're looking mm. at. We're currently looking at Philippines. We're looking at Thailand and then potentially we're looking at Vietnam as well. So you're looking at large population markets, middle class, uh, aspirational lifestyle, that sort of thing. Is that the criteria you're looking for? Actually, one of the biggest criteria that we look at is how much young people there are. Mm. Or rather, you know, how many Gen Z do we have? (laughs) I am a Gen Z. You know, how many Gen Z are there? And I think a lot of them expire to have the final things in life. So this is exactly what we look at. Now, given that you want to grow, you've hit positive unit economics, it was a great move for your ability to sustainably grow longer term. Given the end of the growth at all costs mentality and the reprioritization of profitability, how are you managing the balance between growing while having a clear path to profitability? I think the wing has definitely blown the other way. It has definitely changed from the growth at all mentality, especially I think during the COVID years where, to be honest, a lot of funds are cheap and then you see a lot of people trading money, right? I think back then a lot of money was plenty. I think it has definitely blown the other way. 
I think for a lot of companies, the main thing that companies like us think of is how do we survive and how do we sustain our growth rather than, hey, how can I grow more? How can I grow 40%, 50% in the next year? The primary thing that we think about is how can we, number one, survive, and then number two, outlast, and number three, then finally, if you are able to survive and then outlast, then the final thing is then you worry about how you're going to thrive. So for us, what we have done, a fortunate thing was that we had the good advice of a lot of investors uh, from different parts of the world. That's why from the second half of last year, we decided to actually focus on profitability and margins first. And then, of course, over the year, we have done a lot of work to actually get to where we are today. What were some of the levers that you guys had to pull to make those changes, right, to prioritize profitability? Well, one of the main areas that really, you know, uh, is very different from the past was in the past, we would think about entering the market first. You know, even before setting up our operations, negotiating for a good logistics costs and everything, we would probably push for volume first in a particular market. And then as we build up volume, the logic is that if you are able to quickly build up volume, then you take this volume and then you build a case with your suppliers. And then, of course, the overall cost saving, you slowly pass it on to the customers, which in turn help you generate more volume. Uh, I think it has turned the other way around. Instead, when we think about expansion nowadays, we will first work on setting up locally, uh, working with local partners to make sure that the cost and everything makes sense, not just for us, but also for our customers. And then on that basis, once we have that ready, we will then expand to that market. So yes, it takes longer, but I think it's very different from how it was in the past, where you first think about growth and market share. And then you, you don't even think about uh, sustainability until much, much later. So I think this is exactly what the main way that it has changed for us. Given those changes and the tactics you've put in place, are you able to share with us the timeline that you expect to see profitability for the company? I'm glad to say that right now we are, I would, I would say we are on track to profitability. We'll probably be able to achieve it this year. Fantastic. I wish you all the best with that. We're going to talk about revenue in just a bit, as well as the growth drivers going forward, especially given that this is a transaction activity-based business. So don't go anywhere just yet, Richard. Folks, I've been speaking with Richard Sia, co-founder and CEO of Singapore-based online streetwear marketplace Novelship. I'm Roshan Kanderson. You're listening to Open for Business. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Billions from me. BFM 89.9, the business station. Open for Business is powered by BossBolle.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanesan and this morning I'm speaking with Richard Sia, co-founder and CEO of Singapore-based online streetwear marketplace Novelship. Richard, you've grown quite a significant amount over the last few years. In recent times, you've seen a CAGR of 37% in revenue. Transactions have grown 55% also in, on a CAGR basis. Uh, can you share with us where Novelship is in terms of revenue generation or at least a ballpark of that? Yeah, so I, I don't really give the exact numbers, uh, if you can understand that. <laughs> but I would say in terms of revenue, we are at a high eight figure. Okay. That means 
on a yearly basis, we see uh, actually almost 100 plus percent growth in our revenue, starting from our inception end of 2018. And then on the basis of this revenue that we have, right now our margins has really turned positive in terms of the uni economics. What kind of margins are you expecting in this business and do you see it expanding over time? And like you said, being a marketplace that we are, we really have to think about a balance, right? Mm. So it can never be the case where, of course, ideally, we benefit. Our margins keep increasing and we also give the best cost to our customer. But that is never the case. So when we think about our margins, we always think about it as a balance. You know, how can we balance our interest with the interest of the sellers, with the interest of the buyers? So our take rate and our margins... Ideally, we want to increase it to a better level or a more optimal level, but it will never be just increasing it endlessly. That means that for us, the primary thing we think about is from a company perspective is what is the ultimate absolute amount that we generate, meaning which is a multiplier of GMB times what is the take rate. So that should lead to an optimal number. If you increase your margins or transaction fee endlessly, then potentially you're looking at a very big drop or very big increase in the friction of transaction, which leads to a lower absolute amount. And that is not what you want. Correct, because you have to manage the supply side of things. Even if you have demand, you have to make sure that people want to use your marketplace. So if you're going beyond, I mean, typically we're talking about between 5 and 10% take rates or fees, depending on the type of platform. It's a volume game, right? So, so very activity driven there. And given that it's so transaction activity driven, uh, Richard, what are you and the team looking at to drive growth going forward, given the profitability focus as well? What do you see driving growth going forward? I mean, obviously, part of that is your market expansion. Right. The way I sometimes think about it is I try to break it down into very simple concept. Because when you think about it as a startup and you think that you are different from others, then sometimes it brings you astray. You think of it, you think of yourself as super special from other retailers. So the way I think about it is, assuming Normship is a shopping mall or a shopping center, <laughs> what will make more consumers want to come into our shopping mall, shopping center? First of all, I think it starts with a very wide selection of products that are in demand and at a good price. So the very first good news I would like to share is we are already in the midst of working with major distributors, retailers, as well as suppliers, from different parts of Asia as well as the world. With this partnership, we're looking to increase the selection of our products from right now around 100,000 to 200,000 SKUs wow. over millions to over 2 to 3 million SKUs. There will be a tenfold increase in the selection of our products. I think users can, our users can look forward to that. And then on top of that, we're also looking to really cut out the middleman or rather you know, work directly with distributors and retailers as well as brands to actually bring the best prices to our customers as well. So, you know, a wider selection as well as better products. That is on supply side. On the demand side, of course, is also, I think I will say it's twofold. The first four is other than looking at, of course, Facebook ads, Google ads, you know, that's what we usually do. We're also looking to produce more interesting content for our user. I think for people who are already following us on Instagram, Facebook, they can already see a very big difference in our brand image as well as the type of content that we produce. Of course, using this, we hope to engage with our customers more. 
Other than this, the other thing that we are looking to do is, of course, we're looking to also, because I think there is a lot of avenue and platform for major Western brands like Nike, Adidas, global brands even, to really showcase their product. And I think there's enough of that. And that's also, to be honest, Nike, Adidas and other major brands are also a major part of the transaction platform. But on top of that, being an Asian brand ourselves, being uh, starting out from nothing, starting out as a startup for us, we also want to shine the spotlight on other indie brands and designers from Southeast Asia. I think they don't get a lot of opportunities. So we actually want to start an initiative sometime early next year to actually onboard more indie designers and brands. We want to shine a spotlight on them and we want to give a bigger avenue for a bigger stage for them to, to really showcase their designs. I think there are a lot of interesting designs that don't get enough attention. So this is something that I think people can look forward to as well next year. Uh, Richard, just following up on that note on content, I guess the idea here is that you need to keep people coming to the website as well, right, to see the latest drops. And that is basically creating a hub that's beyond just selling the website viewer goods, but, you know, keeping them ingrained in the culture as well, right, as Snoop told you early on as well. Are you going to be focusing on more content marketing as well, blog posts and things like that to keep people coming to Novelship's website for the latest in hip-hop culture and streetwear culture and even maybe look, even considering events in the longer term? Yeah, exactly, right. So I think on the content part, actually, to add on to what we're already doing on social media, Instagram, Facebook, we have also launched a community section directly within our app itself. So remember the part I talk about, we don't just want to be a place where people buy and sell, but people also interact. People talk about their favorite products. So we have already introduced a very simple version of that. And then right now we already see a lot of engagement and posting by the customers and users on our platform. And that's a very good thing to see. So next up, we will introduce even more features to flesh out the engagement, flesh out the interactions between our customers on our platform. You know, the more you talk about the way you and your team have built this business, Richard, it, you know, it gives parallel to the other big platforms, whether it's Amazon or any other other big platforms, right? And you're building a community here and a user base. I'm wondering whether you're looking at other ways to leverage and monetize the user base and the platform you've built in order to create new revenue streams in the longer term. Of course, other than the marketplace model, you know, transaction fee model, other than the in-house products that we introduce, another area that we have done and we're looking to do more of is really introducing optional services, add-on services that's complementary to the type of products we're doing. So, for example, we know that we have a certain group of customers who want their products and they want it now. So, one thing that we have done is we give more options to our customers and then if they want it faster, they can actually pay a higher fee to actually get their product in express time. Have you guys given any thought to advertising on the platform? Ah, okay. <laughs> so that's, that's something that I was going to get into subsequently. But I think the answer is yes, that could be possible. Because one of the things is that we do have a very engaged group of users. Also to share data, right? On the community section, right now, to be honest, the community section, the features that we have is very basic, but we are already seeing very good engagement on the section. And on average, the users who come to our community section, every month they will check it out at least three to four times. 
that is an incredible number. I think that is very possible that we open ourselves up to work with brands who share the same brand vision or similar brands whom our customers would be interested in. So, of course, I think even though I think there could be a chance for us to really have an advertising service, but we will also curate what kind of brands we want to showcase to our customers. Yeah, because I'm guessing this would, you know, it's about the customer base and what works for them. And it's something that we've seen other platforms do as well. Richard, with the few minutes that we have remaining, give us a sense of what you think is the most likely kind of exit for this company. To be honest, when me and Chris first started this journey, we never imagined how big this got. And we never imagined how big the sticker industry has gotten. Every milestone so far, I think, is already a bonus to us. So for me and Chris, we are actually open to all sort of exit plans. If we can take this journey all the way, of course, IPO is something that we consider. Going public is something we consider. But at the same time, I think if there are other brands who also share the same brand vision, the same kind of vision that we have, we are also open to working with them. Richard, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Roshan. Folks, I've been speaking with Richard Sia, co-founder and CEO of Singapore-based online streetwear marketplace Novelship that recently announced a $9.5 million Series B funding round and also recently onboarded Snoop Dogg, hip-hop legend, as a strategic advisor. I'm Roshan Kanesan. You're listening to Open for Business. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Are you open for business? Register your company with BossBalay.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.